If I told you by Taylor Stocks, if I told you about my guts, would you let me in? Would you show me kindly to the throne or tell me to keep walking? Would you ask me prying questions, then be shocked by tales of blood? Would you tell me that no access was for my own good? If I told you about Digestivus, would you laugh at the name? Would you understand that it helps me cope with chronic pain? Would you raise your brows if I told you I was ill? Would you believe me in a year when I said yes, still? If I told you I don't get better, would you help me cope? Would you let me use your bathroom when I'm at the end of my rope? Would you worry that you could catch whatever it is that I've got? Would you let me in or would you rather not? If I told you that my freedom was based on public stalls, would you help me create doors in the place of walls? Would you fight with me so I can go safe and well, even when my gender is kind of hard to tell? If I told you that a toilet is a symbol of care, would you make sure that there's access for anyone, anywhere? Would you join me and others as we make the call? Access to public bathrooms for us all. Welcome to the Fulcrum Radio Show. I'm your host, Damian Piper. The Fulcrum is the University of Ottawa's legendary English newspaper, produced on the University of Ottawa campus in downtown Ottawa, the capital city of the north on the Great Turtle Island. Today on the show, we have an interview with Layla of the Ottawa Black Diaspora Coalition, the Ottawa Black Diaspora Coalition has organized a series of protests this week in regards to the Ottawa Police Service budget increase. This year, it would total $14 million. We also have an interview with Stephanie Taylor. She read that poem you heard at the top of the show, a poem that was written by Taylor Stocks. Stephanie is from the Gotta Go campaign. They're a local group that advocates for accessible public toilets. Whether downtown or at transit stops, the urge to go to the bathroom can affect anyone at any time. There is certainly a need for accessible public washrooms that has only grown since the beginning of the pandemic. And Emma Williams is in conversation with Dr. Andre Desrochers. He has been studying the first mass extinction. New findings have come out that question some of what we thought we knew about how the Ordovician period, when most of the Earth's creatures lived under sea nearly 445 million years ago, all became extinct. But first, it's time for headlines. Today reading headlines, we have Fulcrum staff writer Desiree Nickfarjum. Welcome to the broadcast. Kevin Strickland, a Missouri man, has just been released and exonerated after serving 42 years after being wrongfully convicted of a triple murder in 1978 when he was just 18 years old. Though it is the longest wrongful conviction in the state's history, 
Strickland likely won't receive any compensation due to Missouri law. The National Registry of Exonerations, which has only been logging exonerations since 1989, says that Kevin Strickland's sentence is the seventh longest wrongful sentence acknowledged by the United States. An inter-union coalition of the University of Ottawa held a panel discussion on hybrid courses. The ICUO raised concerns about the quality of education delivered by hybrid format in a press release ahead of the fall 2021 semester. U of O students have expressed that they find the quality of learning online to be worse than in-person, and a petition for qualitative grading has garnered over 2,600 signatures as of mid-November. The panel went on to take questions from the audience, which hovered around 75 participants for the meeting's one-hour-long duration. Among those that chose to speak was Professor Elaine C. Amont from the Faculty of Science, who said that hybrid courses were working for him. Armand Kepar, Advocacy Commissioner of the University of Ottawa Students' Union, responded saying, We recognize that not all students are in Ottawa or can afford to be in Ottawa, or it's just not a possibility for them right now. That's why we're supportive of the continuation of online classes. Tragedy has struck Bulgaria as a tour bus that was bringing a group of North Macedonians home from a trip to Istanbul crashed and caught fire in western Bulgaria, killing at least 45 people. The accident happened around 2 in the morning. Though the cause of the crash wasn't immediately known, it appeared that the bus hit a guardrail, crashed, and caught fire. The Bulgarian interior minister, Boyko Rashkov, said that he had never in his life seen anything more horrifying. According to European Commission data, Bulgaria has a population of 7 million, and in 2019, Bulgaria had the second highest road fatality rate in the European Union, with 89 deaths per million. Just two weeks after its return, Wednesday night karaoke at Father and Sons has been put on hold until 2022, after the longtime student establishment received a provincial notice from Ottawa bylaw under the Reopening Ontario Act. On the evening of November 10th, patrons lined up all the way down to the three brothers Shorma and Putin, three stores down from FNS. Unfortunately, these lineups alerted Ottawa bylaws and regulation services, which shut down the beloved event after midnight. While students will have to wait until 2022 for the return of father and son's karaoke, the establishment is still open for dining. Taiwan has opened an embassy in Lithuania in what many are calling a diplomatic breakthrough for the island. Throughout most of Europe and the United States, Taiwan offices use the name of the city of Taipei to avoid naming the office after the island itself because China claims it as its own territory. The Chinese government has retaliated by downgrading its diplomatic ties with Lithuania for allowing Taiwan to open an embassy with its own name. China has withdrew its ambassador to Lithuania and demanded Lithuania do the same. The proposed class proceeding launched against the University of Ottawa by former victims of the University of Ottawa Health Services physician Vincent Nadon has undergone several developments in recent weeks. The proceeding hit a roadblock when the U of O refused to agree to give notice of certification on their webpage. 
The defendants withheld their consent to certification of the class action suit until the plaintiffs agreed that the university would not have to post the notice on its website. In addition, the disagreement between the university defendants and the plaintiffs' counsel regarding some of the issues outlined in the initial motion led the plaintiffs to increase their prayer for relief to $500 million. The United States will remove the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC, from its international terrorist list. Formed in 1964, the group originally began to defend local peasant farmers, but soon turned to drug trafficking and kidnapping. FARC was added to the United States terror list in 1997, when the rebel group was at the height of its power. The group kidnapped thousands of politicians and planted landmines across the country. Five years ago, FARC signed a peace deal with the Colombian government and formed a political party. Officials say removing FARC from the terror listing is long overdue and the current listing is only hindering the peace accord's implementation, since former combatants can no longer access the local banking system. Earlier this week, the Ottawa Black Diaspora Coalition organized a series of events to protest the increase of $14 million to the Ottawa Police Services budget. I met with Layla, one of their organizers, and asked about their calls to action. Hi, what's your name? Layla. My name is Layla, L-E-I-L-A. And uh, Layla, who are you here with? I'm a co-chair with the Ottawa Black Diaspora Coalition. And what are you doing out here right now? Yeah, so we're here because um, right now the Ottawa Police Services Board is voting on um, whether or not to allow for a $14 million increase to the Ottawa Police budget. And because we have been working in the city over the last six years and have seen the direct impacts of police violence and the ways in which that money could really improve the situations of a lot of communities across the city and the ways in which social services are consistently underfunded, um, we're really calling for an immediate police budget freeze um, and that the steps be taken to fund those social services so that we can see communities be properly supported and cared for. And has anybody responded to you at all? Um, We've had a lot of media coverage. Um, We haven't really um, received any um, responses or communications from the folks on the board or um, any of the city councillors, but we we assume that we will definitely be uh, getting some information about them and where they stand from this vote and uh, how to move forward in relation to them. Uh, so can you tell me about the actions that you've been doing the last couple of days? Mm-hmm. Yesterday we um, took Isabella and Metcalf. We shut down the entrance to the highway. And I think that for a lot of people, um, that we've heard from a lot of people that that was uh, kind of an inappropriate or um, something that we shouldn't have been done because we're just making people angry and we're not allowing people to join our side. But I think for us, something that was really important in taking such a big space was, or uh, such a a high traffic space in the city is that Ottawa is a very apathetic city and a lot of a lot of the work that we've been doing over the last six years has been within the framework of what is comfortable for the city. And um, with the growing urgency of this cause and seeing the effects on a daily basis, we are getting to the point where we need Ottawa to understand the urgency and we need Ottawa to really show up. And so we really are at a point where we have to inconvenience folks and we have to get in people's folks for in people's spaces for them to understand what's going on um, and the importance of the message we're trying to get across. And how long do you think you're going to be out here? 
We never have an end date, right? The vote is going to go through, and um, we're really go- we're really trying to see the vote through, and then we'll go from there. Is there anything else you want to say? I think really for um, people across Ottawa, and and what I've been reading over the last 24 hours is that. If folks feel that um, taking a highway is inconveniencing, I think that it's really important to realize that parents are scared to send their children to school, to go to the hospitals, to live their lives in their homes because of police and because of the ways in which our community is underserved. And so I think that for folks to think about the ways in which they can be inconvenienced for an hour, I think it's really important to realize the ways in which we're inconvenienced every day in our daily lives and and that um, Ottawa really start to show up because the, the government and the police bodies see um, the ways in which Ottawa kind of um, keeps it pushing when these things are happening and it allows them to do those things. If we keep waiting to show up only when people are dying, people will keep dying and they'll keep dying, especially in the city in silence. And so I'm really hoping that folks can start getting a little pep in their step and showing up um, for communities across the city. Well, thank you so much, Leila. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever had to go to the bathroom? Of course you did. It's something that we all have to do. Have you ever had to go to the bathroom when you're in a public place? Could you find a restroom? Would they let you in? What if someone denied you on account of your gender or your clothes or because you didn't have any money? What if you could find a bathroom but you couldn't get into it because you're in a wheelchair and you couldn't get through the door. Stephanie Taylor is with the Gotta Go campaign. They are a local group that fights for the need for accessible public toilets in public places. She read that poem we heard at the top of the show that was written by Taylor Stocks, and she is here to tell us why access to public toilets should be a higher priority. Well, hello, Stephanie. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad that you uh, reached out to Gotta Go so we can have the conversation. Well, can you tell me about Gotta Go? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a small group of of volunteers based in Ottawa, um, Ontario, and formed in 2013 by a concerned uh, Ottawa citizen, Joan Kuyek. She was taking her granddaughter uh, to a splash pad um, and like kids everywhere, like anyone anywhere, urge hit her granddaughter, she had to pee and there was no toilet. So Joan Kuyek um, advocated and uh, lobbied for a porta potty to be um, to be placed at the splash pad, so kids, caregivers, grandparents, parents could have access to a safe, um, clean sanitation system um, during that summer. And what happened uh, kind of snowballed. So the group got funding and uh, and successfully lobbied in in the next few years for an additional two bathrooms to be added onto the light rapid transit systems in Ottawa. I wanted to ask, why are public washrooms important? Well, it's a basic human need. Uh, We all need to use a toilet. Um, However, 
uh, it gets complicated uh, when it comes to funding in terms of location, in terms of access. However, dignity for public health, for our own personal health, we all need access to a toilet. Um, it's a universal need. Now, how should accessibility be factored into consideration when designing public washrooms? So not all public toilets are made equal. Um, there could be a public toilet. However, if it doesn't have an automatic door that opens, if the door isn't wide enough, if there isn't a change station, there are many people in Ottawa and, and tourists, people who visit Ottawa as well, who are not able to use that bathroom. It's as good as not having one for many people who, who need um, accessible universal design to public spaces. Um, we have ramps, we have sloped sidewalks. We need to have accessible public toilets. It's a, it's a public space. Um, and uh, right now there are 177 public toilets in Ottawa that are managed by the by NCC, the National Capital Commission, and by the City of Ottawa. So these include uh, public toilets in parks, uh, in libraries, in community centers, and recreation centers. Only 33 of those 177 are fully accessible. Now, some people advocate for self-cleaning toilets. Your group has highlighted some of the issues that come with that particular model. Can you explain why they might not be the best solution? So there are pros and cons to self-cleaning toilets. Um, the, the pros are, especially um, in, this, in the pandemic, issues of hygiene. Um, being able to have an automatic, um, an automated cleaning toilet definitely keeps surfaces more hygienic. However, there are issues with systems and mechanical breakdowns. There are issues with timing. How long do we keep the, how long can the toilet be open until it locks automatically? How do we prevent someone from being locked inside? Uh, also the expense, self-cleaning toilets are an expensive option for a public toilet. Having a staffed, and when I say staffed, I mean additional staffing, visiting the toilet, visiting all toilet sites multiple times a day, paying someone a livable wage um, to do this job. Uh, not only provides employment, but it also reduces the risk of mechanical breaking down. And when things break down, how long will it take to get it fixed? Do we need to get the parts shipped in? from outside Canada, it's, it's a, it can seem like a, um, an efficient and uh, tidy way of maintaining and keeping toilets clean. However, if breakdowns were to happen, who knows how long a toilet could be closed for? Um, yeah, a short-term expense but potentially with more longer term breakdowns and issues down the road. Now, what are some of the best examples of cities who have strong public toilet infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Portland Loo. 
So the Portland Loo, um, they designed and uh, had locally manufactured public toilets that were vandal proof, um, that were uh, that were not self cleaning, uh, and these and they also launched a program that included showers, and they would locate these sites in places in the city where people people who needed access to showers who didn't weren't able to access them in their own homes if they didn't have a home if they're sleeping rough or precariously housed access to to a safe clean accessible toilet a shower clean drinking water this is kind of the city that got to go um, and the program that got to go looks to quite frequently uh, in terms of the gold standard for improving public toilet access and not only in nice and gentrified neighborhoods, but really in locations where people need access to clean, hygienic sanitation systems. And those uh, sanitation systems or public washroom facilities, they're all free? Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the city of Ottawa doesn't seem to shine any light on plans to develop more of these facilities in the city's new official plan. What do you say to that? We are keep, we're, we're going to keep trying because we have the support of uh, organizations of uh, the BIAs in Ottawa, the business improvement um, areas in, in Ottawa, um, the community health centers. We have the support of these, of these organizations and of the support of the public, we receive countless stories of people during the pandemic and before the pandemic of not being able to find a toilet. People are not able to find a place to go. And so they go behind a bush, they go in an alleyway or wherever they can find. And we are we're in, we're in communication with the city and they are very open to us having conversations with them about um, current and future um, public toilet um, facilities that could be designed and could be built. However, we are still waiting on the city on the new official plan to include a specific line about public toilets being essential public health infrastructure. But we're just going to keep trying until it happens. Now, you, your organization, Got to Go, just had a project in. Uh, collaboration with the Art House Cafe. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's based off of the really successful uh, campaign called My Winnipeg Needs Public Toilets. And basically uh, in Winnipeg, what happened, they had a call out to people to submit their stories about not being able to find a public toilet. And they, uh, and folks uh, submitted many stories and, uh, and also the next phase of the project was to, people had their photographs taken and they had kind of in positions where they indicated that they needed to use a toilet. And these photographs were printed and put into bus stations. And what happened next was a, um, got the community talking about it. It was no longer a personal shameful situation where some where, where one person themselves felt that they they wouldn't couldn't find a toilet and they had to go in their pants. And there's so much shame. It's horrible. It's horrifying. And when that happens, and it's happened to so many people, but we're so uncomfortable talking about it. And we're so uncomfortable sharing our stories. And so that prevents 
things from happening, that prevents things from changing. But if we can put it out in the open, if we can say, yeah, like I went to McDonald's, I went to Tim Hortons, they wouldn't let me in because I couldn't, because I, I couldn't buy a, a coffee and I had to find an alleyway or I had, I was in a park and I had to go in a park. If we can get people talking about it, whether it's through humor, through art, poetry, video, song, that is a one big step in overcoming the obstacle of our own discomfort of talking about needing to use a toilet. And art is such a wonderful vehicle for that. It Not only is it the artist's personal expressions, but it also can reach out to so many people. It is a universal need. We've all had that experience. And whether it's because the, the toilet wasn't accessible to us, whether because we couldn't uh, buy a coffee, we couldn't access the toilet, if there wasn't one nearby, um, it speaks to a need that we all have. And artists are incredible at touching and reaching um, issues that are so difficult to talk about sometimes in conversation, and especially in policy, you know, bringing it up and, and speaking about it on a political platform. Art can kind of weave its way through these and sidestep these difficult, awkward feelings we have about it. So what were some of the local submissions you received like? We received incredible submissions, uh, video, poetry, music, visual arts, um, and uh, from artists in Ottawa and Gatineau as well. And it was incredible seeing the submissions and people opening up and sharing about their own personal experiences about not being able to find a toilet and needing to find and needing to find one. And it was such an important issue clearly to so many people. Um, and uh, so, so seven artists were some uh, were selected um, and they were awarded $500. And then another six artists were, were select, were, were approached and selected and they'll be receiving a hundred dollar honorarium as well. Um, and we cannot wait to share these submissions um, with the public um, and include them in current and future advocacy. Um, it was truly a, a, like a, so wonderful to see all the submissions. And uh, where will people be able to see uh, everything that came in? Yeah, so that's in the works. So we are because we kept it open because we didn't know what we were going to receive. So I'm so we're in the process now of of seeing what the artists wrote and then figuring out what would be the best vehicle to kind of platform this work. What is the best strategic way of incorporating the poetry, the video um, to, to push the new official plan, to push for um, a business, a business access, a business subsidy, sorry, for the city of Ottawa um, to subsidize businesses, to make their public toilets uh, open or make their toilets open to the public rather, um, and so many other ideas. So we're, we're working with what the artists submitted and figuring out the best way. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, mm, I think that, I think that if people would like to improve public toilets in their ward, or if they would like to get involved the best thing that they can do is to write to their city councillor. The best thing that they can do is write to the councillor of their ward. That can be, you can be, it can be over Twitter. It can be an email. It can be a voicemail to their office and just let them know that public toilets are important to them, that they had a problem accessing their public toilets. This is the best way that we can see change. We just have to raise our voices and, and say, um, 
that we need better access in, in Ottawa. And if anyone would like to get involved or learn more about Gotta Go to reach out uh, over Twitter, um, we're at Gotta Go campaign over Twitter and also our website, which is ottawapublictoilets.ca. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Thanks. Emma Williams is our science editor. She joins me now. Hey, Emma. Hi, Damien. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And what's new in science this week? So this week, I interviewed André Desrochers, who is a professor here at the University of Ottawa within the Department of Earth and Environmental Science. And what did you talk about? We talked about an international study, which he co-wrote, which re-examined the cause of the Ordovician mass extinction. And uh, what is the Ordovician mass extinction? So that is the first of the big five mass extinctions, and it occurred around 445 million years ago. Oh, wow. And how did everything die? So what was originally thought to be the cause was that the oceans underwent anoxic events meaning that the oxygen was completely depleted. Well, that sounds very interesting. I can't wait to hear it. Okay, enjoy. Uh, first of all, um, uh, the late Ordovician mass extinction, which is the first, or if you prefer, the earliest of the big five mass extinctions mm-hmm. that life on Earth experienced about 445 million years ago and saw the the extinction of about 80% of marine species, uh, most, most of which live in, in the shallow ocean close to the continent. So these became extinct at that time relatively quickly. So you're probably uh, familiar with uh, other mass extinction, uh, for instance, uh, the mass extinction at the end of the Cretaceous which led mm-hmm. to the sudden disappearance of dinosaur and other species about 66 million years ago. This, uh, that extinction was fairly rapid. The late Ordovician mass took uh, over a slightly longer period of time, you know, a few hundred thousand years. But, you know, uh, this is quite a lot in terms of uh, our lifetime, if you want. But in terms of geological time, it's still fairly rapid. So the work we have, have been that have been done in that paper, but also for the past 30 years, I know illustrate really that Antiquist is a very relevant candidate to UNESCO World Heritage List. So basically, Antiquist Island is recognized now as the best natural laboratory in the world to study fossil, a sedimentary rock from the the other vision to Silurian. So basically the geological period that coincide with the first mass extinction. So Antiquity is characterized by an exceptional stratigraphy and paleontology that have been recognized for more than a century and, and as you can see, continues to attract uh, the most eminent international researcher in, in the field. So basically when you have the best laboratory to study uh, first mass extinction, you know, you take advantage. So there is no other place like that. And for instance, for the world, UNESCO World Heritage, there was a comparative analysis uh, done in 2020, so basically a year ago, by two very well-known uh, paleontologists who basically look at all similar sites in the world, about 40. 
And, and basically, the conclusion of their study is that unequivocally, um, the fossil site on Enskosi Island stand out in, in the world. You know, notably for their well, their, their abundance, preservation, and a great diversity of specimen can can be uh, can be found there. Okay, so that that's uh, why why uh, scientists want to work in a place like Enskosiala um, because that's the best lab. That's the where you have the most uh, the thickest succession of strata of that age, the the best exposed section, the best preserved section. So if you want to answer question about fundamental question about that first mass extinction, you need you need the best record, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, that's what Anscursi Island provide to researcher, the best stratigraphic and penatological record of that, uh, of that age. Okay. And then, yeah, let's talk about the result. Well, the result, uh, that was very interesting because, uh, so the, like I, I mentioned, that one of the debates is about anoxia is or is not the main cause of mass extinction during the late division. But at the same time, we know by the record, the geological record, that this this time was also a time of cooling, major cooling. You know, if you go uh, elsewhere on, on Earth at that time, you know, there was huge deposit of uh, glacial uh, glow, glacial sediment in the late division. So there was a major cooling at that time. We have to think that not uh, the, the, if you look at, the map of uh, ocean, uh, ocean and um, continent, very, very different from today. Okay, First of all, no continent in the uh, northern hemisphere, a few major uh, Palu continent in, in the tropic, including North America, where it was located our Antiquity in Nevada. And finally, a huge, uh, very, very large um, continent uh, center on the, the South Pole at the time. So we had the perfect condition with cooling to build huge, uh, huge ice sheets. And because these were very dynamic, you know, the, the growth and the, the, the decay of these ice sheets was always causing a very dynamic environment with change in sea level, change in cooling and, and warming. So very a very dynamic climate uh, setting, okay? So our question was... Uh, is it still really is it anoxia that is the main cause of that mass extinction? And our result proved no, it's not. You know because uh, the lack of oxygen cannot be responsible for the extinction. So our data show that shallow water, where was located all the biodiversity at the time, was were they were uh, well oxygenated. You know. And so basically uh, the abrupt cooling probably uh, that occurred during the late division combined with other factors were probably responsible for the late division mass extinction rather than anoxia because anoxia was strictly in the deep ocean where there was no life. So no impact, direct impact on, on, on the biodiversity of at, at that time. Um, I'm wondering then, so if it's not anoxia, then... Are we talking about glaciation that's ha- Well, happening? so you have to remember Anscosi was uh, near the equator. So okay. Quite away from, from this ice sheet, okay? But still could be affected by the general cooling of the climate. Okay. Okay. And and, and, and so we need to uh, probably now, uh, we need more data about 
to see is it cooling? Is there's any other factor that uh, actually could be uh, associated with uh, that cooling? You know, because usually mass extinction it's a, a set of factor. You know that, that, but I think it's a reasonable scenario to to say that you know shallow seas were well oxygenated mm. at that time, so they cannot anoxia cannot be responsible, and we suggest that cooling. Uh, must have interacted with other factors, nutrient cycling, primary producture community, or even potentially heavy metal toxicity. And so, you know, it's a complex story and you cannot find, an, you know, you find an answer, but the door is open to, you know, to alternatives. So you check these alternatives and, and that's how we're going to be able to maybe find a, to better constrain the, uh, what was the, pivotal mechanism of the late Odovision extinction. And were you able to determine cooling as a factor because of the climate model that you made? Not necessarily. We were able to replicate okay. that in, in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the climate model because we use, uh, so it's, it's using, you use cell to reproduce, uh, to cover the surface of, of the, uh, of the earth at that time using the same continent configuration at that time you use different uh, cell in, for the depth of the ocean i think we had 16 cell and you try to you know some parameters are well known other are poorly constrained so you use a range of param- uh, value to and you test and finally you you know you, you end up with usually just one one or two solution but your question is really good about cooling. What is it's the climate model validate that? But essentially, is the observation in the field. You know, if you are uh, like me, a field geologist, you go on in Scotty. So, what you're able to do is develop develop what we call a high resolution stratigraphic uh, framework. So we know the sequence of event before, during, and after the mass extinction. Mm-hmm. So if you go on NCC, you will know at which, which stratigraphic level basically the extinction occur. Okay. So if you look at the rock below, so in older uh, strata, so what we found is that there was a, a major uh, shallowing. You know, all the rocks show that the faces on in these rocks showed a major shallowing associated most likely by the growth of ice sheet, of cooling at the global scale. So cooling was there just before, during, and during mass extinction. So that's, um, you know, better, um, that's provide some constraint about, about, about cooling. So basically field data, you know, just straight observation from the field. How come then for so long we thought that the reason for the mass extinction was anoxic events. Because oh, that's interesting that that question. Because not all, but many of the other five big mass extinction anoxia is very often proposed as one of one or if not the main the main cause of anoxia. You know, if you look at all the other mass extinction except maybe the one by uh, at the end of the Cretaceous. Uh, that's uh, the dinosaur extinct. There are mainly a period of warming and anoxia that is linked together. You know that occur always during period of very high um, volcanic activity. So there is apparently, you know, with 
increasing CO2 gas and, and other uh, gas in the atmosphere, you create a, a general warming and eventually that create, you know, satisfy the ocean water and create anoxia. So for most actually mass extinction, there, there is proven uh, conclusion about, about uh, the link between mass extinction and anoxia. So it was fairly uh, reasonable to think that maybe anoxia was, was the cause of the late division mass extinction, like the one at the end of the Devonian, like the one at the end of the Permian, like the one at the end of, of the Triassic. Okay. And I'm wondering if you could tell me, so like based on your results, I'm wondering what we can take from this, considering that like we're entering the sixth yeah. extinction. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I will leave you maybe on a very, some, I guess I will try to make a general statement. Um, the, uh, you know, discovering the root uh, cause of mass extinction on Earth has been, has long been a very, very odd topic for scientists. As if you want understanding the, the environmental condition that led to the elimination of the majority of species in the past, you know, to be a, a big mass, a, a five, the five big mass extinction, the minimum extinction rate is 75% at the global scale. And during a relatively uh, short period of time, okay? So the elimination of majority of species in the past could potentially help prevent a similar event from happening again, you know, by knowing what happened, um, understanding how much time after uh, a mass extinction, the ecosystem need to recover. Uh, that, that's a potential, you know, uh, it's a... It's a very important, I guess, they can provide important clues about, about, about that, you know, for the future. Um, so that that's would be my general statement about, about uh, you know, the importance of study mass extinction. You know, essentially, yeah, I think that's understanding the, the condition that led to the uh, loss of majority of species in the past uh, could potentially have prevent a similar event from happening because that's what we see in terms of diversity right now, modern biodiversity is uh, decreasing, you know, we're not there yet, but we have uh, potentially were moving into what had been called a sixth mass extinction. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Okay. A, a pleasure meeting you. And thank you so much for meeting with me. Me too. Me too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Here with the latest to what's happening with the GGs is the Fulcrum's editor-in-chief, Charlie Dutill. Damien, something that hasn't happened since I was the Fulcrum's associate sports editor happened this weekend. Do you know what that is? I don't know, Charlie. What's that? No? Well, the women's volleyball team finally won a game. Their first since November 25th, 2018. The team beat the UQTR Patriots 3-1 at Montpetit Sunday, which snapped their 46-game losing streak that spanned parts of three seasons. This included a 0-20 season in 2019-20. And do you know why they won? 
Well, on Sunday morning, I came into the office at about 8.30am to watch the Qatar Grand Prix, just before the Fulcrum's Town Hall. If you've never been to the Fulcrum's office, we have a huge parking lot that surrounds our office. Lionel Woods, the head coach of the women's volleyball team, usually parks to the right of our office. Well, on Sunday, I felt pressed and parked in his spot, just because it's the closest one to our door. This forced him to find a new parking spot, which in my opinion, broke the streak. Call that crazy, call that superstitious, but the man has parked his Nissan Sentra in the same spot he did on Sunday ever since. Now, it remains to be seen if it's just a new parking spot or if it's because he changed spots. But I'll make sure to find out next game when I steal his new parking spot. Anyways, the volleyball team wasn't the only one to find a win column this weekend. The women's hockey team beat McGill 3-2 on Sunday at Minto, while the men's team beat Carlton on Saturday 5-2. Both basketball teams had the weekend off, and they'll be back in action this weekend against U of T. That's sports, Damien. Back to you. for listening this is our last show of the season we'll be back in January with a return to our regularly scheduled programming thank you to everyone involved in this week's show Our fearless leader and cat dad extraordinaire, Mr. Charlie Dutille. Desiree Nickfarjum has been going the extra mile behind the scenes for us the last few weeks, so thank you, Desiree. Emma Williams does more work than anybody, and she should have her own spin-off series. Music and sound design by Cameron Rankin. You've been listening to the Fulcrum Radio Show... I'm your host, Damian Piper. Thank you for everything.